Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon. Here with my co-host, Petko Stoinov. Hi, Petko. How you doing? Hey, doing well, Rachel. You know, it's it's kind of funny when you first started looking at who we're having here today. I started having memories of because him and I, Ishmael and I, used to work together for years mm-hmm. at, at McAfee, and then I started thinking about well, how long I've been in the business and. And I'm like, wait, BlackBerry? Are, do they make phones? What are they doing now? You are wait, hilarious. what are they doing in threat research? And I've got to ask yes. Ishmael now. Like, I know he's a hardcore researcher and you know, sans teacher and everything else. So we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Ishmael uh, here. And I, You're he does hilarious. not need a last name. You are hilarious. Yes. You know, for 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 all of our other friends out there who aren't personal friends with Ishmael, uh, we've got Ishmael Valenzuela, who's vice president of threat research and intelligence at BlackBerry, joining us today. We're going to have such a great conversation, you guys. Welcome, welcome, Ishmael. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel and Petco. Yes, and it's you know it's always great to do these things, but when you do it with friends, even better, right? So happy to be to be here. Thanks for having me. Exactly. Do we want to start at the beginning, Petco? Yeah, I think we do. I mean, Ishmael, you've been in cyber before it was called cyber, right? <laughs> it was called something yes. else at the time, right? You're calling me, so you're calling me old right now, but I know that you're, you're about the same age as I am. So let's, let's go with that. Yeah, we, 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 you know, we used to call this InfoSec, right? Information security, uh, which I still think it's a bit more appropriate than, you know, cyber. But I think we lost that battle. It's just like the definition of a hacker. Um, as mm-hmm. much as we would like that to be defined differently, it is what it is. But, but yes, I, yeah. I think uh, I started with my own company in the year 2000 uh, in Malaga, Spain. Beautiful nice. place, by the way, if nice. you haven't been there. And, um, and yeah, it was like, you know, something I, I liked. I, I, it was a passion that I had. I thought, hey, this is like the combination of things that I love to, to, to do. Uh, you know, system administration with uh, solving puzzles and uh, getting my hands dirty on infrastructure, securing things, keeping an eye on attackers. So it sounded like fun, but we never thought it was going to be what it is today. Now, you've been in the industry. I mean, you, I, you and I used to work together at McAfee, I believe, and now you're at BlackBerry. But that's not all you do, right? Aside from the podcast, you're always busy, I found. What else are you doing outside of BlackBerry? I guess I'm doing too much. That's that's the problem. But uh, <laughs> but like, as I said before, when, when something is a passion, you end up covering a lot of different, lot of different projects and, and initiatives. And I have a, this problem that I, I don't say no to things as often as I right. probably should. Right. Uh, but yeah, I've been teaching for sense for the last, uh, 12 years, 12 years, I believe. Yeah. About 12 years. Wow. Uh, I started in, in Europe, uh, when I moved to the States in 2014, um, you know, kept, uh, doing that. And I'm an author of a class as well, uh, around zero trust and working on some other projects that you may you may know about maybe in a few months. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I've been doing a lot of different things in the industry. I like to you know go to conferences, to speak, to the research, to present, and also to I guess it's something I'm I'm enjoying more these days to to build teams and manage you know teams that uh, where you can not only 
do cool things, but also learn from other people that are doing cool things and, and learn from each other, right? That's that's the fun. I mean, you're on the fun front lines, I like to think, right? I mean, it's you know seeing everything as it's happening and developing and, and almost kind of like the scary stuff behind the scenes. And it's, you know, in your time, like, you know, kind of what's been your perspective on on how things are changing? Are they becoming more diabolical or, you know, we're just hearing about it more? I, I'm always curious, uh, mm. you know, kind of having been in the industry, I sit, you know, I see it through a lens, but someone who's been on the front lines for as long as you have, I think you've got a, a little bit of a different perspective. It's, and it's about the, the, the time of the year, right? Where everybody makes uh, those predictions, which I, yes. really, I really hate. Uh, one of my, my colleagues in the team, he says, you know, we don't talk about predictions. We talk about forecasting because that's more scientific. Prediction right. is like, hmm, let me stick my finger up and see, you know, what's going to happen next year. Uh, no, no, we do predictions. We we look at the data, we see the trend, and then we do analysis on that, and we tell you what, what's probably going to happen. And the reality is that it's all about geopolitics. Right? If you look at threat intelligence, it's, it's just the art of translating uh, what's happening in the world of the geopolitics into how that will affect the cyber world. And I think, obviously, the trend is just going to continue. We're going to see... Uh, a lot more collaboration between traditional cybercrime, financially motivated groups, working with APTs, uh, especially providing them with initial access to environments, a lot more info stealers, um, you know, more credentials being sold in the, in the dark web. We see that a lot, right, yeah. uh, these days. And uh, something we've, we've seen over the last year as well is a lot more focus on Linux platforms, Yes. Even Mac OS. And interestingly, because we've always, we've always said that, oh, you know, the, the best bank, uh, the best bank for the uh, best bank for the buck. Can I even speak? Yes. It's, um, <laughs> thank you. It's, uh, it's on Windows, right? So that's why attackers are focusing on Windows. What's happening today is that attackers are creating malware in um, languages like Golang, which can be executed on multiple platforms. So just with, investing their time in, in, in you know, once into creating this malware, now they can make it portable and also infect Mac OS, Linux systems. Um, and then maybe the other thing I would highlight that I think we're going to see more and more, it's uh, another, you know, password these days, supply chain attacks, right? Um, but but it's it's true, as, as companies are investing more in building defensible security architectures, we're getting better at... Uh, you know, having more visibility, better detection, better response capabilities, supply chain is still very impactful. And it is um, a, an avenue that attackers are going to continue uh, using. And when you, initially, when you say supply chain, can you tell us more about what you mean, like when it comes to infrastructures and software and when you say supply chain for our audience? Yeah, it's, it's about abusing the, uh, the trust chain, right? So, for example, right. I buy a security software and I trust that vendor because, hey, they're in the business of security, right? So, I install this, I put it on my network, and I let this software connect to the internet and just, you know, do the updates or do whatever it has to do. And I, I then put additional controls over that, thinking that that software could have something extra because maybe it's not you that were attacked directly. It was that third party that was attacked. Their source code was modified. And now there is a backdoor in there that can be leveraged by an attacker to get access to your internal network. And in most cases, to your most trusted 
segment, right? Whether it's on-site or uh, cloud-based. So that's, it's very tricky because, you know, if you think about large suites of software, okay, like we talked about solar winds, right? Uh, what, two years ago? But, um, but it could be anything. It could be any software that users install on their, on their computers. Uh, you know, things like, um, I'm just going to throw names there, right? I don't know if we can, we're supposed to do that, but <laughs> I don't know, Dropbox or WhatsApp right. or, you know, any communications tool, Slack, or are we, is this safe? Can we run this in our computers? Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more emphasis on auditing, uh, product security, uh, testing and auditing the, the source code and what do we put on our laptops, right, on our Yeah, definitely. Computers. I think, uh, did you guys read this? I mean, I know TikTok's always everyone's favorite thing to hate, but I, I believe it's been banned in government offices now is something I was reading, which I, I always think is... Is, is it that bad, Ishmael? I mean, is TikTok really like that diabolical, like bad, bad thing lurking? I guess I'm obsessed with it right now, by the way. So I'm, I'm going to answer that with uh, <laughs> the, 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 the default answer to any of these questions, which is like, it depends, right? <laughs> and, and every time I, uh, I have these conversations, I always ask this question back, like, what's, tell me more about your threat model. What's your threat right. model? Because what's acceptable for me um, as a user, right, um, or as a maybe small company, or uh, my risk appetite might be very different from, right. you know, the DOD. Uh, a little bit, or a little bit, yeah. a large financial organization that, you know, is conducting business in a country where uh, there is some geopolitical situation, right, where um, attackers might be interested in. So it all, it all depends on your risk appetite. Uh, but, yeah, many organizations may... Start saying, look, this this software we we don't trust it. So we just the policy is we're not going to install it on corporate managed computers. Like on your personal device, you can do whatever you want, but that's going to be completely segregated off the network, and it's going to have you know a separate connection. You do with that device whatever you want. Yeah, definitely. Now I I know you mentioned software, but it also then applies, I think, to hardware because I think saw the U.S. government also banning certain network infrastructure mm-hmm. brands that they wanted to make sure, look, we would not want to do business with you if you had X. You know, Absolutely. Um, without mentioning their names. So, right. you know, you always talk about software, but that software's got to run on something. And sometimes, and we all know this, there's always software in your BIOS, in your firmware, yeah. that, you know, when it go, now it's a lot more targeted. It's probably not as mainstream as some of the others, but it goes back to what you said, risk appetite. The risk appetite for a U.S. government or a nation state that is constantly under attack they're going to worry about not just the software, they're going to worry about the chips and everything there. Yeah. And, and think about, yeah, I was going to say, think, think about, you know, IOT devices, security cameras, all these yeah. things that we just bring into uh, our home and, and that we, we don't really know what's running on, on them. And large government agencies, they've been doing this for quite some time, right? Um, at BlackBerry, we, we have a, a bunch of people that are focused on this product security testing. One of our big business units is, is you know, IoT, even automotive software to, for yes. cars, right? Uh, when you think about it, uh, there's like about 250 million uh, electric cars running our software. And think about, you know, what that can, how attackers could start shifting their attention to this in the future. And what the impact of that could be. 
Can you tell us more about what BlackBerry is working on now? Because, you know, Rach and I were talking about this. She, she loves her BlackBerry from years ago. And I'm like, I think they're doing more than that now. And yet, you know, you're in a lot of different things. You just mentioned the millions of cars out there. What, you know, what's, what's BlackBerry up to nowadays? That's, that's a good question. Uh, so essentially, we, we have two business units. One is cybersecurity. The other one is IoT. And they're obviously very uh, related to each other. And as I said before, on the, you know, the cyber side, uh, you probably are familiar with Silence. So that's the, the, the company that was acquired by BlackBerry years ago and that we continue to, to work with. I run the Threat Research and Intelligence team, which uh, you know, we are, as I said, Rachel before, at the forefront, trying to monitor what's happening in the world and creating threat models and sharing that information uh, through many different ways. We do a lot of uh, public talks. We do um, you know, reports, blogs. Uh, recently, the US uh, government has been uh, acknowledging some of our research uh, when we shared some of these um, uh, you know, TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures for specific threat actors. But we also build um, or improve our products as a result of that research. And, and the other piece, the IoT automotive, is really fascinating because it's it's not the future, right? It's the presence. As I said before, millions and millions of cars running this software, uh, uh, QNX and, and large manufacturers, that they they use that to, well, to, to build the capabilities that you have when you get into your your car, and you get your phone connected, right? You get your access to a lot of different services. And this is just going to increase because at the end of the day, cars are becoming just like computers on wheels. Yep. Uh, and, and that's that's really you know interesting to me because it's it's where we're heading towards. And 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 it's nice to be, you know, in a company where we're at the at the forefront of these two very Fascinating fields as it is IoT and, and cybersecurity. Absolutely. And we still have BlackBerry software on our phones. Yeah, we don't do phones anymore, but we have BlackBerry software that you can run on iPhone, on Android. And actually, we work with a lot of different governments to secure these communications, but it's not that well known. Yeah, it's kind of, it, you, you, kind of you kind of remind me of, um, I think I've seen some of your BlackBerry interfaces. I'm so used to Android owning the car business, but I'm finding out BlackBerry does have tons of it out there with BMW and some of the higher end ones. It, it, what are the major attacks that cars have that someone would want to run a more secure operating system in their car versus, you know, custom made, let's say, or rolling their own? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think that if you look at, What's happening today, we don't see, outside of the research, right? We don't see these attacks happening in the real world uh, as of today. And most of the software that, um, you know, that, that, that you see today implemented in cars, the telemetry generated, it's more about like sensors, right? Looking at what the car is doing and how to become, you know, more uh, efficient. But as cars have a lot more features, and, and we're talking about, you know, the next few years. And and you start talking about, you know, cars being able to pay for things automatically as you go. Um, then as, as there's always money, when there's money involved, right? Attackers, they always have an interest in, in that. And and I think that that's when we're going to see maybe attackers shifting their attention towards, towards this. But as of today, you know, thankfully, we don't see real world attacks against cars uh, as, as something, you know, prevalent. 
so, but you are seeing, I believe BlackBerry's got a large threat intelligence infrastructure and you guys are seeing attacks on companies, right? Is there something we should be doing in order to share more data and kind of get ahead of attackers or be aware of this happening? Any suggestions there? Well, something we have been doing is, is collaborating with a lot of uh, uh, intelligence agencies around around the world. I just mentioned before, like talking to, we, we talk regularly to, you know, DOD, DISA, we share information with them uh, and and they, they gather this information and they share it, right, with the, uh, with the community, with uh, companies, especially, obviously, anything in, related to critical infrastructure that affects everybody, all of us as, as citizens, residents, we um, uh, were very, you know, prompt in, quick in sharing that information with, uh, with them. So I think that's, that's obviously one of the things that, that can help uh, sharing with those agencies so they can uh, uh, share more with the, uh, with the community. And I think that um, many security companies are doing a good job at, at that, at sharing that type of information. Obviously, not, when it comes to intelligence, not everybody shares everything because there's also value behind that and there's an industry and there's you know, money to be made out of this. Uh, but I think we have to be responsible and understand that, okay, there are things that we cannot withhold. We have to release this information quickly to those that can do more, right? That, 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 that what we can, or we, let's say, what we should do, right? Because we're not law enforcement. We can do research. We can find about it, the bad guys. We would love to punch the, ba- the bad guys in the, face, in the face, but we cannot do that, right? We don't, it's not on us to, to, to do that. But I have seen, I think, companies, you know, do takedowns of some of these infrastructures if they're operating in certain areas or working with, DNS providers who disable, uh, you know, all the domain namespace. Mm-hmm. They're sharing the threat data uh, with certain ecosystems that do threat sharing. Um, I think a lot of my experience, a lot of the challenges, no one wants to be attributed as the original, you know, patient zero of when they found it. it it's, mm-hmm. it's because then someone's like, oh, did you get hacked? I can't answer that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, but I think to your point, the sharing is something we need to do more often because if we can get faster at that, we can get faster at preventing the next attack and the third attack from them reusing that infrastructure, reusing that code base. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the supply chain attacks that we saw. Those are very targeted. But if we know it's happening, think about how many companies we could have helped. Hey, look for this ahead of time before it goes out. It, it might be coming from solar winds. But I, I think to your point, like it is become a business. But I think the business is trying to automate the sharing into products and mm-hmm. into everything. I'd love to get your take on What's like some of the craziest zero days you've seen around this threat, threat intelligence? You, you mentioned IoT and others, but what's some of the most interesting ones? I, know, I see you smiling for those of you that are on the podcast, but he's got some, you know, knowing Ishmael, he's always got something in his head he's thinking about that's, you know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of something that would be like, you know, funny, but the, the reality is that most of these things are not really that advanced. And that's the sad part that it's always about, you know, credentials compromise. Like we, we've had on the news recently, big company, well-known that's, oh, you know, it was like um, this attack where the user is bombarded with uh, multi-factor authentication yep. messages, right? And you, no, that was not the, the, the initial access. The initial access was an info stealer, something like Redline. We see a lot of those. Uh, why? Because it's a big, big, big business. You don't have to be very sophisticated to just like you know spray 
all of these uh, uh, attacks, you know, phishing, uh, watering hole attacks, just enticing somebody to download and execute something. We see lots of, um, uh, especially, you know, with uh, teenagers. I have teenagers too at home. And they download, you know, games, uh, uh, cheat sheets, things like that. And they come with these info stealers. People install these things. You get the credentials stolen. And it might be that that guy that is playing with that computer also works for the large multinational. Now you have username and password, right? And then those credentials are sold on the dark web for just like 10 bucks or five bucks. Like really, it's crazy. And then that's when you see the multi-factor authentication attack coming, mm -hmm. coming after that. So the reality is that it's, it's not as sophisticated as we, you know, maybe could think. Obviously, zero days is always something uh, we've seen a lot of, uh, uh, zero days exploited or unpatched, I should say, unpatched systems, VMware systems uh, being exploited this year. Uh, and which brings another question, like why would people expose these servers to the internet? But once again, it's a lack of a solid defensible architecture, lack of, you know, good hygiene, the simple things really. So if you were, let's say like a, a small business enterprise, depending on, you know, what, not not a not a nation state, not a Fortune five thousand, Fortune ten company, but if you're a regular company out there that maybe has a thousand, two thousand, three thousand employees, and you're trying to do right by your employees, you're trying to do what's needed. What are like top two or three things you would say they should do or be aware of to create a defensible architecture or you know protect some of their inf from info sealers and other attacks? Those initial vectors. I think I'm a big fan, and I've mentioned this before, of having a threat model. Uh, when we think about you know business continuity, uh, ransomware has changed everything because now people understand like, oh, if I'm a victim of ransomware, this impacts my my business directly, right? But it's more than that. Uh, if you're a small company, you know who do you who do you do business with? Because you you're always part of a chain, right? Even if you're small, but do you work with financial organizations? Do you work with governments? Do you work with education, with healthcare? Mm -hmm. Now, how can your organization be abused or, or used, right? What can uh, 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 harm you? What are, uh, what are the, uh, your lines of revenue that, that brings most of the money into the company, the services, the products you have? And now how can, how can that be impacted by any of these cyber attacks? And at least have that high level threat model uh, and if you cannot do that, you don't have that information, like get somebody to do that for you. And then with that information, now you know what's at stake, what's at risk. How much money can I lose, right? Okay. How much uh, will impact my business? And based on that, you can make decisions now on, okay, I want to go with this provider, um, use managed services, right? Uh, uh, small organizations, they're never going to have a SOC. Okay. They're never going to have a threat intelligence team, an instant response team in-house, because that's not their business. But at least know what's the strategy. The, the companies must own that. And I think that's changing a little bit right now that companies are starting to understand that you cannot separate business from you know, cybersecurity. Um, you, you have to know what your threat model is. Do you do business in Taiwan? Well, what could happen if China invades uh, Taiwan? Right. How is it affecting what you see today in the Southeast Asia? Because we see a lot of attacks in Southeast Asia right now, especially um, attacks related to stealing intellectual property, espionage. Yeah. 
Those are the questions that we need to answer. I was actually having a conversation. You're speaking almost of regulation, not just geopolitical, but almost the regulation. Uh, I was having a conversation recently with someone about what happened in Australia with Optus. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you've been following some of their, I don't know if I'll call it breach, but spills, whatever you want to refer to it, now there looks to be a regulation impact where they're talking about how do we put the burden back on them for this breach? And then at the same time, which is almost like a check, checkmate move, is you saw the, the cyber insurance company market saying, we are no longer covering nation yeah. states yep. attacks. Mm. So now you're like, well, before I'd say it's a nation state, but really it's someone just clicked the wrong button. And now you get into the, the burden of proof is to right. prove that you are not negligent. And so I'm, I'm seeing, I think there's going to be a lot more investment in cybersecurity to say, did I do the right thing back to your threat models? You know, if we're doing the right thing, that says we're not negligent, we're, di- we're doing our due diligence here, but there is that possible risk. And I think as a cybersecurity professional, you, you hit the, you hit it really concisely. You've got to be tied to the business. And it's not just the company, but also be aware of the impacts in Southeast Asia or regulatory changes that might happen. It's part of that threat model needs to consider if this changes, you know, we can't just fix everything with cyber insurance. We might have to actually invest in certain things to avoid the risk to the business. Uh, that's a problem we've always had with security, right? Like uh, every now and then somebody comes up with, oh, I have the solution to all of our problems. And whether it is, I don't know, uh, you know, you call it however you want, like XDR is right now, right? XDR, that's the solution to all the problems. Or cyber, cyber insurance, I have insurance, therefore I am covered. And... And now, uh, there's a lot more. There's uh, regulations are great, compliance is great, but that's that's only the starting point. And uh, you, you you always have to to look beyond beyond that. And if you cannot do these things yourself, as I said before, well, go to somebody that can help you at least cover the basics. Uh, Nobody can be 100% protected. Nobody can protect even everything, all the assets. That's why you have to be specific and, and, and know what's important to your business. And if you don't know the answer to that question, you have another problem. Yeah. You don't know your business, so you can't protect it. It's, exactly. it's an interesting thing. You know, we've talked about trends. We've talked about your background. Um, I feel like you know, we can talk about so many different things here. Rachel, anything we're missing? You know, my favorite topic, Ishmael, is this whole, you know, we talk about, you know, kind of the the geopolitical landscape with cyber. And, you know, when you started hearing these these terms like cyber war, when, you know, the whole Ukraine and and Russia, I know, Pekka's laughing because my question is, does a cyber war ever end? I mean, I, I mean, are we ostensibly now in this perpetual cyber war you know, and you've got these volunteer cyber armies that you really can't regulate. You know, people are just kind of jumping in the fray and who knows what can happen. You know, I mean, how do you even get a handle on something like that? And, and does it ever end? And how would you know? <laughs> well, I, again, I think it has to go to, to what I said before. Uh, what is that you should really be worried about? And it's funny because we're talking about cyber war here. But if you ask the people in Ukraine right now, they don't care about cyber war. They care about, you know, bombs, like dropping their houses and, and you know, killing, killing their, their, their loved ones. Uh, yeah. So Definitely. Uh, that, that puts things into perspective. Right? It's like we right. thought that, you know, cyber world always has an important part and, and it took an important part, especially going, leading into the invasion. But then at that point, it's all about the physical world, right? And, right. And, 
Um, so it, it's about risk management. We know all those risks out, are out there. It's like, you know, getting to your car in the morning, like, you know, there's so many risks, but you don't stay home because you know that you have to do things, right. but you're constantly managing or evaluating uh, what are the things that, what are the acceptable risks and what are, which are the ones that you're not going to take today, right? Right. Same thing with, with uh, cybersecurity. We have to leave, we have to operate, we have to do business. And there's so many threats out there, but not all, APTs, they're not going to go after everybody, right? They go right. after specific organizations that have specific uh, things. Um, what are the things I have to care, worry about? Well, you know, ransomware attacks, that obviously can affect everybody. Uh, credential stealers. And I'm a big fan of emulating these things. Hire somebody to do that emulation for you. If I was a victim of this type of attack, what will happen? Uh, what, will, what data will you be able to access? And that puts things into, into perspective and gives you factual data that you can use now to make decisions. You know, it's interesting. I, I had this, uh, I've noticed recently, it's most of the time, I think it's like I saw a statistic where 80% of the attacks, you don't find out about them from internally. You find out because someone notified you. And sometimes you get notified by, let's say the FBI, who will tell you, hey, we see some of your IP traffic coming to this domain that we took down. And the question is, do you guys own this IP? Are you aware of it? Do you know what's there? It's part of the conversation. And, and and when you start, you start going through that, you realize, oh, we need an instant response. We have to figure out how to respond to the FBI. We need now, you know, potentially the media has to get involved. If we, so there's a, I think from the threat modeling, if you take that one step further is you almost have to do a tabletop. What if this happened? What if the ransomware happened? Who do we bring in internally? Do we have canned responses? What's the process we can quickly make a decision in, in not days, but hours or minutes? And then what... How do we interface externally? Do we have the relationships externally? Yeah. And, and you can do this with uh, tools that are available out there, uh, even data that is available out there. I'm a big fan of the MITRE ATT&CK framework to, to build these threat models. You can go into Attack Navigator and say, okay, if I'm uh, in healthcare, what are the attack groups or even the, I call them weapons, the weapons or the software that can be used against me? And, you know, you can start with things that we already know that people is using. Uh, you can just like read the reports. I said Redline before as one of the top info stealers we're seeing. Um, you can look at, you know, Cobalt Strike, uh, Silent Trinity, other frameworks that you know attackers are using. So if they're using these weapons, what do they look like when, when they're used on an endpoint, on a network? What type of artifacts will it generate? Do I have visibility of that? Do I, am I able to de detect this? And if so, you know, how fast can I detect and react to something like this? So that puts another threat model into, into, into something practical that you can measure, that, that you can uh, improve. Ishmael, I've got a silly question here. Who gets to pick these names? Like Redline and, you know, <laughs> some of these. It, it almost feels like astrology where whoever finds it gets to kind of name it in the sky, you know, or, and, and then afterwards of like, is it the same one that you're, is the same thing I'm seeing in the sky, the same thing as what you're seeing? And we both call it two different things. 
it kind of it feels like some of these names always feel like astrology in you know we, we're talking about the same thing but we are speaking different languages and i'm kind of curious like how do they get named that's that's interesting i guess in the some of that is marketing right even the bad guys have marketing uh yeah. or like you create your own team i mean your own tool i remember back into 2014 15 i created this tool called rastreador which was a little tool that i used to uh, before EDRs, right? To go and collect uh, artifacts from different systems and then bring them into uh, uh, one single machine and do analysis on that. Long story short, I called it Rastreador because I thought that was cool and you know it's based on Spanish uh, uh, hunter. But uh, I, I then I realized that nobody here in America could pronounce uh, that correctly. So that was a marketing it? failure. I just to spell it first. <laughs> Right, so that was a marketing failure from my from my side. But I already had stickers and a logo, so I was not going to change it. And <laughs> but uh, then I, you know, went to Black Hat and I was able to present it there. So that was cool. But the, for example, we we have now the ability to call malware uh, names. And uh, if you read one of the latest reports we wrote, we analyze some malware. We look at the PDB, which is the a database where you can see debugging symbols for a binary. And we look at that and we saw some strings that said ARC and it was a cryptor, right? So we said, okay, ARC, ARC cryptor. So that was the name. So we, we got to name the baby and say, this ransomware is called ARC cryptor. <laughs> but again, that's just a name uh, to describe something. So yeah. it's like part it. of the fun. Point. You find it's, it, it's, you name it. Is, is exactly. really what the, the mantra is. Okay, I love this. I love this. One day I'll find something, I hope. I would love to have that opportunity. It's part of the fun, yeah. Absolutely. So I want to know, Ishmael, I like to get into kind of the more, you know, like friendly parts of, of life in cybersecurity. And, and Pecco probably knows where I'm going with this. Um, I'm curious, like, what are you reading right now? I'm in a total pivot. I'm in a total pivot. What are you reading right now? Uh, and it doesn't have to be security related. I will say we did have a guest who was reading <laughs> Dave Grohl's biography and I went out and bought it. I was so excited about that. So it can be anything that, that, that you find interesting, but it's, you know, it, I think it's, you know, is there a downtime reading that you like, uh, you know, in addition to work stuff or, you know, what, what's on the, on the bookshelf right now? I, I have to say like right now, uh, because end of the year, it's so crazy and I have, you know, so many presentations and so many things. I am not reading a new book right now, but as soon as, you know, we get into two, three weeks and I get some downtime, I'm going to pick up something, something new. But I, I can tell you that I, I love to read about history I love to read about things that don't have to do necessarily with cybersecurity mm -hmm. because I found that that helps me to become better yes. at my work. And when I do presentations as well, um, you know, it enriches uh, uh, yes. your, your, and it's, it also, it's also good to keep your sanity, right? Uh, so for example, I, I live, you know, not too far from New York and there's a, well, there's everything in New York City, right? But there's like a couple of art fairs that they do there uh, that I, lo I love to go, which is like local artists and people that are not mm -hmm. very well known. And I just go there with, you know, my family, and just, just walk around the booths and watch people do amazing things. Like, how do you do that? That's awesome, right? right? Or talking to a photographer, like explaining what they felt when they took that photography yes, and what, yes. how they did it. And I find that so fascinating and it helps me to keep my sanity. Um, so anything that doesn't have to do necessarily with, with cyber, I, 
remember going on a flight recently. Uh, well, I've been flying a lot recently, but one one of these words, like, I don't want to watch a movie. I just want to, you know, I, I didn't feel like reading. But they had these um, master classes. And it was one with Malcolm Gladwell, right? And he was explaining about how to tell a story and how to tell stories that are captivating. And yes. so I got a couple of ideas that's like, oh, I'm going to use that in my next talk. And it turned yes. out that people people loved it and it was something completely different from what I've done so far. Right. So my suggestion is to any cybersecurity professional uh, listening to this, just do other things. I love it. I love it. Don't just live for cyber 24 hours. It's not good. It's not good to anybody. It's not good for you. And it's not good for the people around you. So no. pick other... No. Pick on, on all their interests. I love that way you were talking about storytelling too, because we, we have talked about that in the past because so many people, especially if you're talking to a CEO or, you know, kind of the board level folks who, who really just don't know. And, and it's that storytelling that kind of helps them understand what the heck you're talking about and, and what the impact is and why it matters. Um, and, and there's an art to that. There really is. I, I always uh, use this uh, quote from, um, I have the book uh, here, Clifford, Cl- uh, Clifford Stoll, right? The Cuckoo's Egg. And he did a presentation a few years ago at a SANSA CTI summit. And he was explaining how, you know, when, when Berkeley Labs got hacked in 1986 and he went to FBI and trying to explain that, hey, you know, I have a hacker on my network. And and the, the FBI officer was like, how many, how much money was stolen? And he said, well, 75 cents. The guy was like, whoa, okay, kid, you know, come back when you have something. So he said, I have all the data. And I thought people would understand what the data meant. And he said, no, you have to tell a story. That's what people really understand. So yeah, that's, it's important to be able to tell stories that explain the so what. Why do you have to pay attention to this? Or why do you have to do something about it? I love that. I love that. You know, it's, you know, we've learned so much about you and, what BlackBerry is up to now, and and ultimately, it, for folks who are in cyber, we got to make sure you know keep our minds out of cyber to do well in cyber. It's important, yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many beautiful things around us: nature, you know, music, uh, other things that can uh, help you become a better, better person, a better professional. At the end of the day, too. Exactly, and it doesn't look like we're ever going to unplug anytime soon and get back to the the world of unconnectedness. So. So good to be, <laughs> yeah. good to have these conversations, you know, because it's, I think to your point earlier, Ishmael, you know, we get connected cars and electric vehicles and we're, you know, we're connecting our homes. I mean, pretty soon everything's so connected that, you know, if you're not putting cyber kind of at the forefront of your thinking, it's just going to run amok and, and be complete chaos. Uh, we're we're we human beings. Right. And, and we're, we're made out of, uh, you know, different needs and, and obviously, like finding new stuff, learning, it's, it's, it's fascinating. But we also have to, you know, maintain our own health and, and mental health and, you know, physical health. And that, that you know, involves other things. It cannot be just right. all cyber or work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I love that. It's, I think it's a good message, too. I, you know, I, I think about, you know, probably, you know, kids at your, your age, teenagers that you have and, you know, Pekka's children and, you know, growing up with all of this information and, and all of this technology at your fingertips. And it's, you know, I came into it, ugh, I'm really old, but, you know, closer to like <laughs> college age or, you know, what have you. Um, and, and you see the kind of the impact that it can have on, you know, kind of mental health, well-being and, you know, but also getting sucked into like TikTok for an entire day. And, you know, kind of how does, how does that, 
you know, kind of grow or, or change as you get older or the next generation's coming behind us as well. So I, I love those kind of messages because it's, it's got to remind yourself to get out and, and actually be in the moment. It, it's a and, challenge. And I have to say, I've gone through all those phases of like, oh, oh you know, have a smartwatch, uh, read all these eBooks and I, maybe I'm, I'm going to sound boring now or old, but I, I don't use a smartwatch anymore. Like I just ditched that and I'm, I'm yeah. using just a regular I like watches, so a nice watch <laughs> that is not, it's not beeping or vibrating yes. or sending me any notifications. Um, I, I make sure that I turn off all the notifications as much as I can, you know, wake up in the morning and I get my coffee first and I do the, the things, you know, a little bit of reading and before I even turn the yes. phone on Wow. and you know, I'm not always good at that. I have to say we're not perfect, right? right? Like sometimes it's just like first thing in the morning, I check my email and it's like, ah, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, all these little things uh, help, like even grabbing a book, like a physical book. When I need to do a deep study, absorb, I need to walk, I need to walk away from the computer. I cannot right. read on an electronic device because I get distracted. I, exactly. Because all these applications are made for, for that, right? To keep you swiping and scrolling down and exactly yeah. it, you're, you remind me of that whole industry of like self-improvement and folks who just want to get better and yet at the same time i start thinking about how cyber, you mentioned you got to cybersecurity because you got to you know problem solve so i'm thinking if there's anyone out there who's into self-improvement or any of that go be, get into cyber because we need more of you because you're already a problem solver right you know and we need more problem solvers i mean just to, i think a couple we, on one of our episodes, we had someone that did medieval history and he did cybersecurity. He majored in medieval history and now he's in cybersecurity. And think about it, he's an outsider, but he loved problem solving. And that's the mindset we need. Cyber is not a career, it's a mindset that we need to kind of proliferate and bring more people into the roles because we need more, we definitely need more people. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about this field that you get to work with people with different backgrounds, uh, different ways of approaching things. I've, I've never had so much fun that when I worked with people that didn't have my background, um, people that came from the, you know, data science, uh, people right. came from, you know, big data PhDs and they, they, they had no training on cyber, uh, security mm -hmm. whatsoever. And, and I would be like talking to them. It's like, yeah, because this is like that. Oh, really? And why is that? It's not like that. And it's like, well, it's obvious, but, now I have to think about how to explain why it's right. obvious. And maybe it's not that obvious anymore. And, and, and that's, that's really, again, enriching, right? You want to, um, if, when you're, you're young, you want to start into a new field. You can spend a lot of times, a lot of hours, right? A lot of time going deep into something. But at some point, it's good for you to get out of that and then see what's around it. Um, zooming in and zooming out. Yes. Absolutely. Because I, you know, I, I think of, you know, to your point, when you have outside interest in like the medieval history person, he would look at security differently, right? Through kind of like the historical lens of, of war and, and combatants and, you know, and I just love to champion to, to all of our listeners out there, you know, even if you have an art degree, like this is an amazing field and your perspective would be very valuable. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love that we continue to try to get that message out there because we need so many more good people. To, to come join us and, and join you in the trenches, Ishmael. Absolutely. With, with all the fun. Mm -hmm. so, well, I know we're coming up on time. So I, I absolutely want to thank you for your time, Ishmael. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I'm so excited about the work that you're doing at BlackBerry, um, particularly information sharing. You know, it's, it's critical. 
if we're ever going to get get ahead of these things or have a chance at trying to slow them down. Um, so keep up the great work. And I, I look forward to following more about all the great work that you're doing at BlackBerry. And Petco, another great, another great conversation. I love what we do. I love this podcast. Thank you, Rachel. So much fun. Thanks, Ishmael. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So to all of our listeners out there, thanks again for joining us. You know, another great conversation. And don't forget to smash that subscription button. You get a fresh, clean episode in your inbox every Tuesday. So until next time, everybody, be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 